0: So my wife says it all the time, it's beautiful. She she always says you can't have a testimony without a test. Kind of feels like the biggest responsibility I have in my world right now is trying to be an awesome parent.
1: Really, I believe forgiveness is more for us than it really is for the other person. I kind of firmly believe that everyone is capable of and deserving of empathy, but I do believe it is a muscle that you have to exercise. The full quote is, if you come to a great chasm in life, jump, it's not that far. Because I feel like you never really stop growing. And if you have stopped growing, like you're already dead in the water. You know, stagnation is synonymous to death.
0: You are now embarking on the imperfect experience. Hello, everyone. It's your host, Luke West, back with another episode of the Imperfect Pod, where we discuss topics of masculinity and manhood more intentionally and purposefully. On this episode, I have someone really cool, Ty Newberry, who currently serves as the executive director of the Friends of Fort Tupont Ice Arena, in Washington, D.C., which is located in the middle of the, one of the most challenged and underserved neighborhoods in the city. Ty and his staff work hard to get kids off the street and put them on the ice. It impacts over 3,000 inner city kids per year, and no child is turned away for ability inability to pay, and all programming is subsidized, and many kids participate at no cost. They do this through ice skating, hockey, speed skating, and figure skating programs that teach kids valuable lessons about perseverance, hard work, and resilience. Their all nice lessons are are supplemented with off-ice enrichment opportunities, such as study putty programs, a community garden, mentoring, workshops on financial literacy and racism, and other experiences. Uh, on this converse, In this conversation, I ask a lot of stereotypical questions about what it's like to operate in an African-American community. Um, I ask questions about mentorship, father uh, fatherhood, you know, how hard it is to live and interact with those kids every day, but how positive it is um, to make that impact also. Also, my birthday is coming up this weekend. And for my birthday, if anyone's listening, I would ask that you donate money to the Kids on Ice program or the Friends of Fort DuPont Ice Arena, which I've linked in the description below. I've donated donated some money. i you know, I'm a hockey fan. I believe in the work that they're doing at at this uh, facility and at this program. So if you could do that for my birthday, that would be amazing. Uh, That's all I ask. So I'll leave a link to that in the description below. If you could do that for me, that would be fantastic because I think you're going to find that the work they do is fantastic and um, definitely worth every, every penny that you spend. So we'll get into the episode now. Ty, I am very excited to have you here today um, to talk about the work that you do in underprivileged communities. Um, But before we get into all of that conversation, I always like to ask my guests, who is one person, dead or alive, that you'd like to have over for dinner and what would you cook for them?
1: Oh, as I'm sure you've heard from your previous guests, that's a tough question. Um, I think that I'd have to... Maybe go off script a little bit, and maybe it's not uh, it's not a person I know, but, you know, there's a lot of people who struggle out there right now, and at any point in time, if anybody was on the verge of contemplating going from the living to the dead part of it, and, and uh, uh, it needed somebody to just sit and be kind with them and uh, enjoy a conversation and hopefully make them walk away and reconsider uh, what they were thinking. Uh, That would be the person I'd invite over. Uh, You know, I don't care who they are, where they're from, uh, but life is precious and and we need to all help each other get through this. I I think I'd probably serve them a bowl of soup because that seems to be the thing that heals everything. Mm. and. At the end of the day, probably feed them a fat boy size of ice cream because everybody's happy after they have ice cream. So I don't know if that's the answer you were looking for, but if given the choice, that's probably who I would choose.
0: Uh, The the reason I love that question so much is because everyone I've talked to so far, I think except one person has given me a completely different answer. So I think I've only had to repeat twice and this is episode 41 or 42 or something like that. Um... And that's the first time I've ever heard anyone say or take it from that area of someone who's on the verge of taking their own life or suicide. Uh, And I think that's a really beautiful sentiment and a great way to kind of transition into what you do, who you are, and how you got there. So you have this, uh, is it a not-for-profit? Correct. Not-for-profit called Friends of Fort DuPont Ice Arena. Um, and why don't you kind of little, share a little bit more about what that is, and then we can get into why you do what you do and who it serves and, and the purpose of it. Cause I think it's a really beautiful story.
1: Thank you. We're, we're excited. We have a good time. So, uh, we are the only full size indoor ice rink in Washington, DC. Uh, what makes us unique is we are in ward seven of Washington, DC in Southeast. And that unfortunately is probably one of the biggest underserved communities that Washington, D.C. has. And if we're not in a business section of it, we are right in the residential area of one of the most underserved neighborhoods. And through our not-for-profit, we use uh, hockey, figure skating, speed skating, and different ice sports to uh, get kids off the street, give them something productive to do. Uh, give them some tools to be successful in life, and try to make an impact. And this past year, uh, we impacted over three thousand kids in one year, free of charge.
0: And in, I think it's it's really interesting that ice hockey or or an ice arena is the focal point of an underprivileged, you know, racially diverse community. So, what made that solution the clearest to you in kind of starting this? and seeing that need because typically ice isn't seen as something that would be a solution in that kind of environment or that kind of community.
1: Right. So it actually started before me. Uh, The rink was built in 1976 as part of the bicentennial of the country here in the U S obviously there was a lot of money being spent in the different parts of the cities, trying to make it look beautiful up by the monuments and, and different things like that in the community in Southeast D C Uh, which is dominantly African-American, went to their representatives and said, hey, we want some money to come over to us, you know. uh, And the city and the local community asked what they wanted, and they wanted recreation facilities. And so they, at one point, had a football field, basketball courts, tennis courts, and there was a push to put in an ice skating and roller skating rink. So that went into 1976 and it was, it actually sits on national park property. It's an old civil war fort and in the 1970s or 1996 uh, after running it for 20 years, the city or I'm sorry, the national park service didn't want to run an ice rink. That's not the recreation they wanted. Mm-hmm. And so they were going to close it and a not-for-profit came in, uh, our chairman, Willem uh, Bullock pulled uh, some of the prep school parents who use the rink and save the rink with the not-for-profit. And we have a couple, we have two uh, prep schools who have skated at our rink for a lot of years, who are very wealthy. And, you know, they wanted to, when they started the not-for-profit to save the rink for their programs, they thought this would be a great opportunity to engage the local community. So they started what our programming is considered as Kids on Ice. Mm-hmm. and over the years you know we're we've served you know probably over 25,000 unique individuals in the past 25 years so uh it's growing and growing and continues to grow and uh it's just it's a lot of fun I'm very very fortunate to be a part of it it's a building that has a lot of great energy
0: mm-hmm. and, and were you always interested in the not for profit sector was that something that you transitioned into how did you kind of get involved in that um, from a business or from a personal stance.
1: Uh, so, for I was in the coaching world for hockey for a number of years, and then a simple transition into running ice rinks. Um, and it's it's interesting now. I'm an executive director, and anybody who is an executive for, director for not profit means knows that that term simply means a professional beggar. That's what I am. <laughs> uh, my job is to shake people down for their money, their time, or their resources. And so that's not a career path that I necessarily chose. Uh, they were having some challenges at that rink there, uh, in the, at the rink, and and um, I was recruited to come give them a hand, and as things grew and the programs grew, uh, we just, uh, we've, we've we've done a lot of good work in the area that we that I'm probably most proud of is the area we the area of work we do off the ice Mm -hmm. so we have a lot of mentoring programs we have a lot of educational programs we provide a lot of tools for kids to be successful more off the ice than on the ice Uh, the hook is the ice part to get the kids in the building and have a good time but we're not our focus is and will never you know our focus is just this simple we're trying to build future citizens not future hockey players not future figure skaters and not future speed skaters okay that's what our goal is and we can use ice as a unique opportunity and a fun opportunity to get kids in and give them tools on the ice as we all know growing up playing hockey in uh, other sports is you get the discipline, you, you know, you learn the basic lesson the first time you're in an ice rink, right? You're going to fall mm-hmm. down, everybody falls down, you have to get up. Okay, and that's the first lesson that's learned immediately. Uh, anytime most kids come in, we there before we even get them on the ice, we teach them off the ice, you are going to fall, we're going to teach you, we're going to help you get yourself up. And then mm-hmm. from there the lessons just continue uh, to develop great kids.
0: And and one of my favorite things about your story is that, um, you know, as someone that grew up in hockey myself, even though I was in a multicultural community, it was still when you thought hockey or when you thought ice, you thought men and you thought white.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, But that's really not the case for you, as, as we've kind of talked about before, is predominantly African-Americans and predominantly female. And I know that this is a podcast about masculinity and manhood, but I think that you know, shifting away the focus from being white and from being men onto communities that are typically for men or quote unquote men, and seeing that transition is, is a really prominent piece of understanding what manhood and masculinity is. And and I think that's that's a really unique perspective that you offer. But why don't you kind of talk about, you know, that idea that ICE and, and maybe hockey or or um and these these activities are for white men and, and how you're doing that and leading that in a black community or african-american community um and with women
1: yeah so it's it's actually uh as you mentioned ice sports are getting more and more expensive and for instance we have one sheet of ice our monthly utility bill is twenty thousand dollars a month wow right uh and that doesn't count when you start looking at equipment you know you said hockey you know it's Back in the day, you could outfit a kid for a hundred bucks. Today you can't even get a hockey stick or a pair of skates for a hundred bucks. So unfortunately, ice sports has kind of gone from a blue-collar and white-collar uh family activity to now more and more pretty much white-collar in a lot of areas. Mm -hmm. and uh through the not-for-profit we remove the barrier of cost we fundraise we have uh, volunteers just the most incredible volunteers and people you would ever meet who show up all the time to work with our kids Uh, we have used equipment that we hand out Uh, we have used figure skates dresses speed skates whatever it is we've removed the complete barrier of cost for kids to participate um as you mentioned, we are in an African American community. That's where our focus is. Uh, when I started there fifteen years ago, I would have said that we were a minority program uh, with very few uh, non-African Americans participating. And today, after fifteen years, and you know, a lot of it has to deal with gentrification in D.C. Uh, last year, it was the number one gentrified city in the United States. Wow. Uh, you know, we've gone from a minority program to really a diverse program, which uh, has a lot of positives in, its, in itself. And one of the great pleasures we have are, you know, one of the great endorsements we have is we have families from all eight wards of Washington, D.C. who participate in our rink. And we have families who it's closer for them to go to Maryland or Virginia to get to a different rink and have the means and the resources to go to those places, Uh, but they choose to come to our facility because it really is a melting pot of a community. And there's not too many places uh, in Washington, D.C. or really anywhere in the United States where kids from all different races, uh, social and economic backgrounds, religions, you name it, are on the ice or on a field of play participating and not only participating, but participating together, right? We think sports brings communities together, but a lot of time it's people from your part of town or this section here. And yeah, we go over here and we play them, but to have a mix of kids on the ice who are participating and working together, that would never, uh, be in an environment like this together. Uh, and you know, to see parents in the stands where you have a parent who couldn't rub two nickels together, sitting next to somebody who probably wouldn't stop to pick up a $5 bill sitting next to each other, rooting their kids on. It's, it's really a quite unique, uh, environment. And, and over the years we've tried to increase, uh, our female participation, uh, and, you know, we we meet a lot of personalities, right? If you want to go fast and be on the edge, speed skating's for you. If you want to be anonymous, be a little more aggressive, you can put on the equipment, you can go out and play hockey. And if you're artistic and an individual, well, you can put on a dress or an outfit and skate to beautiful music, and it does wonders for self-image and self-esteem and the spotlight's on you or your synchronized skating team. So we meet a lot of personalities as we looked in our ward in Ward seven, uh, a number of years ago, there wasn't a lot of, uh, sport activities for girls. You know, it was cool to hang out on the basketball courts until you were about nine or 10. And then it wasn't cool for you to be there anymore. So we really focused on trying to get girls to participate and the, the numbers and the statistics, uh, the Women's Sports Foundation, which was started by Billie Jean King, is just an absolutely incredible organization. And the statistics that they have, you know, just to give you a few, girls who participate in sports are three times less likely to be a teenage mother, less likely to be an abusive relationship, have healthier body weight. Okay, so we're talking not only being obese, that but also potentially not being a bulimic or anorexia. So on both sides of that spectrum. Um, less likely to be a smoker, less likely to use drugs, less sexual activity as a teenager, they have better grades, they uh, lower depression and suicide risk, they have higher self-esteem, better self-image, and more self-confidence. And, you know, self-confidence, that's it. That's life, isn't it? I mean, how many of us wish we would have had the confidence when we were in middle school or high school or even college or even an adult to go after the job we wanted or to sit down with a boss and, and get the money you want or what, you know, you got to have confidence. And, and that's to me really the key to a successful individual is somebody that has the self-confidence to be able to, to do things, the self-image and self-esteem to see them as they in a positive light, but also to see where they want to go. The reality is this, this is what we preach. Kids who feel good about themselves produce positive results. It's mm-hmm. that simple. That's what our task is. That's what my staff and I do every day. Our goal and quest is one thing to uh, everybody we come in contact with to help them be successful. It's our job and our goal to help you be successful. And uh, that's what we focus on. And and because we have a, a lot of Females who started participating, we started recruiting female coaches. Um, Those participation numbers went up quite a bit, and it's just been, uh, we're at about 60% right now in our facility, 60% female. And uh, it's just been uh, great to see a lot of these uh, young girls turn into wonderful young women going to college uh, and then coming back and volunteering. Uh, the number of people we have in our program who go to college and then come back to give back. It's just, uh, it's just absolutely incredible. So,
0: Mm -hmm. and, and you talked about how, Um, you do things off the ice, but then all the things on the ice also lead to higher self-esteem, higher self-confidence, lower chances of smoking. Are those things that you address off the ice too, or does that kind of just come naturally with the involvement in sports? Because I'm really curious in the educational aspect that you were talking about earlier, Um, obviously with playing with diversity or or different African-Americans and and all the racism talks or racial talks going on in the States right now. Are are those pieces of the components that you are addressing? Really curious to hear about that.
1: Yeah, we do. uh, You know, in in Ward 7, it's the highest violence rate in the city, highest dropout rate, uh, poverty rate. uh, But childhood obesity, heart disease is rampant. And we're in a food desert. There's one grocery store. It's about two miles away. It's closest grocery store. It serves eighty-eight thousand people, wow. and most of the people in Ward Seven and Ward Eight have to take a bus to get there. And if you ever go to the grocery store on a bus, you realize you're only buying what you can carry, right? And not only carry onto the bus, but carry from the bus to your apartment or home. So people are buying junk food. So the obesity rate that's that's a big challenge there so we uh one of the things we did is we partnered with a group uh, a friend of mine uh, ours dc urban greens uh we were the first farm back there so in the back of the rink we put in a community garden in the back of the rink to help combat not only obesity but we're also one of the highest birth defect rates And most of the people think, oh, you know, it's, it's the drugs, it's the drugs, you know, that's what's causing the birth defects. But the reality is, is it's actually malnutritioned mothers. Mm. So by injecting healthy vegetables last year, they put over 10,000 pounds of healthy vegetables into the community. So we do a lot of classes that talk about, uh, health. We do a lot of classes that talk about, uh, heart disease, uh, George Washington University, we've had the head cardiologist come in and talk to the kids uh, because uh, unfortunately, heart disease is the number one or one of the top killers in the African-American community. So we do a lot of programs like that. Uh, When we talk about poverty, we do money management things with kids. So we have uh, what we call a DuPont dollars. We're Fort DuPont, obviously. So we created our own currency DuPont dollars. Where when kids would do homework assignments, where they would show up to different activities, different classes, we would give them our own in-house currency, so to speak. And, you know, it's it's really incredible because as these kids were earning money, we have fees to participate in our program, and then we offer scholarships, right? I mean, so, and a, a lot of our people who were scholarship, their kids attended the class, they got the currency, and then they showed up with their DuPont dollars to pay for a clinic or a camp, right? Mm. It was not like, hey, you know, everybody, a lot of people think, oh, you know, people in that part of town, they don't want to work, they don't do this. There are a lot of incredible families and people who are trying the hardest they can, uh, but may not have the education or resources to do it. And uh, these, these, these families we have, they're special people. They're trying hard. We're just trying to provide an opportunity for them and their kids to, to learn, to have fun, to have a safe place to go. Uh, we've recently, uh, since a lot of the uh, Floyd incidents have happened um, and all this has kind of uprooted, we've done weekly classes on uh racism diversity and skating we've uh we've worked with a lady before dr kern who does an incredible job she's a psychologist who uh, provides a safe place for kids to talk mm. uh, and we just continue you know one of the things is we put out a statement But the statement isn't good enough. We need to have a conversation. And not only do we need to have a conversation, that conversation needs to continue. So every week we have Zoom that's, you know, some of them might be geared towards coaches. Some of them might be geared towards kids. Some of them are geared towards our alum who are participating at colleges and other areas and having an atmosphere and a platform uh, for kids to speak, speak freely uh, uh, and and do it safely, you know, they're, they're with mentors, they're with kids, like I said, a lot of these kids come back and work with kids who have been in the program, so, uh, you know, it's just, it's, we are a little not-for-profit, we have a board of directors, a set of volunteers, and a very small staff, and I'm telling you, it's, it's amazing, the, the work that everybody does here, and uh, we're just, we're really lucky, it's, very easy to get motivated to go into work every day when you're dealing with the families and the staff and the volunteers that I get to deal with.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like such a beautiful story and impact that you have like i can whenever you talk when we had our first conversation i can hear the joy that it brings to your voice um and just how much uh passion that you have you know you can hear when you're talking about diff- different themes your voice go down because you're might be more somber about it but at, when there's like positivity um you can hear that in your voice as well which is one of my favorite things about talking to you is is you add a lot of um dynamic i guess sounds to it or i guess i, I could just pick up on it um but In regards to how you've been personally impacted too, you know, you've kind of touched on it a little bit, um, but kind of going deeper into that, you know, you've shared stories with me of people that you've worked with, but I'd I'd really like to hear maybe more in depth about how you've been personally affected from it um, and and impacted by it. And then we can go into some of those other stories as well.
1: Uh, You mean most recently or just overall?
0: I guess overall, but yeah, even most recently too, however you want to approach that, uh, that answer.
1: Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it's amazing. There are a lot of good people in this world and unfortunately in our society today, people are too busy talking at each other and not with each other. And when we go to my little slice of heaven every day, we get the opportunity to see people at the ground level. And have conversations and work with people. And like I said, you know, it's there's a lot of uh, misconceptions about what's happening. Uh, we as a society talk a lot about generational wealth, but we do not talk about generational poverty. And, you know, even when it comes to education, you know, people think, oh, the people in the poor sections of town, it's not important to them, you know. Otherwise, the parents would be helping them. But the reality is, is it is important to them. But mom and dad are working two to three part-time minimum wage jobs to try to put food on the table for those kids. So they don't have the opportunity that most people in the upper middle class and upper class have to sit and do whatever they want and spend as much time with their, their children as they want. They're trying to provide for them the best they can. Uh, so you know I just boy, I don't even know where to start the the education that I've gotten over the years that I've been there uh, you know it's just people are generally good and trying trying hard and uh, we've had a lot of challenging kids and and parents like any sport does Uh, but we you know we want a safe place for kids we want Our goal every day with our staff and volunteers is to simply uh, make a positive connection with every kid that comes through our facility and parents, and we welcome our parents in as much as as possible. Um, It's a unique facility, and one of the reasons why a lot of kids come back to our facility is because uh, not only is it safe, but they feel a lot of times like an outsider in other rinks or teams uh, as they move on, whether it's to college or pros and things like that. Through our program, Our Kids on Ice, our focus is learn to. Okay, We get kids to a certain level and then we hand them off to competitive teams. Uh, there are a lot of great competitive programs in the area, whether it's hockey, figure skating or speed skating. Uh, we don't want to be competitive sports. We want to focus our kids, our focus, our our energy on reaching as many kids as we possibly can. So, but our kids always come back because, you know, we talked about self-image and self-esteem, but for a lot of our kids, when they're the only African-American on their team, uh, they feel a little different. And especially in synchronized skating, you know, we had an incredible discussion a couple of weeks ago with some of our synchronized skaters. And those that go on and participate in other sports, all the coaches are white, their teammates are white, the referees or the judges are white. When they walk into an arena, like anybody, you feel that our eyes are on you if you're not from that group originally, right? You kind of feel, but they feel it a little bit more. They feel the pressure that if they screw up, it'll be mod- noticed more because they look different than everybody else. And that's a real feeling, you know. And I, I can appreciate that, you know. We, we had a huge discussion. It's, 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 you know, not funny, but it's something that I never really thought about much is, you know, when they do costuming for Synchro and they talk about flesh color. Well, mm. flesh color doesn't work, you know, when band aids came out. Uh, 15 years ago with flesh colored band-aids that doesn't work on dark skin, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, so, you know, there's just so many little subtle things, uh, that, but when they come back to our rink here, they feel a part of the same community. They don't feel different. They feel, uh, uh, good. And one of the things, you know, we've been trying to build here is, uh, we've just started, helping a figure skating parents form a club that we can hand on and hopefully stay in our rink. Uh, We are home to Neil Henderson and the Fort DuPont Cannons, and the Fort DuPont Cannons are the oldest diversity program in North America and probably the world. Uh, Mm. So there are, we're trying to get them, that we don't have to necessarily hand them out to other clubs and teams who are outside of our rink. We're trying to keep them in, but You know, the the community that we are in has just done an incredible job. We have a number of organizations. We used to find people to underwrite them when we hand them off to somebody. But now we got a lot of clubs who just absorb them. We have the Georgetown Titans. We have Neal's Program, the Cannons. We have uh, the Northern Virginia Ice Dogs, the D.C. High School Stars. Anyways, you know, we communicate with them and say, hey, we got two kids here. We need to get on your team and they just absorb them in with them and, and cost again, is removed as the barrier for entry for them.
0: Mm -hmm. And going back to what you said about the parents, you said it's, it's almost, or just as important to get the parents in the doors too. Do you do programming for the parents as well, or is it more programming for the kids? And then the parents are there to see the impact.
1: We do, our program is focused on the kids. We invite the parents to participate and we do have a number of parents who participate and it's it's fun sometimes to have them in there but it's it's also interesting sometimes how eager and excited the parents get about what we teach too uh so it's it's good to get everybody in the fold uh but it's it's you know not only parents but siblings anybody is welcome we are a facility that our doors are open to anybody if you come into our facility even if you don't want to skate You're welcome in our building. Uh, There was another not-for-profit a few years ago who opened their doors uh, not too far from the rink, and they were just astounded that anybody can walk in your building at any time. Yes. Okay, that's who we are, okay? Mm -hmm. we welcome everybody. You know, years ago, we had a young man across the street show up. I was doing a hockey camp, and he started showing up, and he showed up every day. And it got to a stage where we put a desk in an office for him. You know, when my wife and I would travel, we'd pick up different hockey shirts for him. You know, we fed him out of the concession stand. We have a notebook that goes back and forth between uh, the teacher and him. We couldn't get the mother to sign a permission slip for him to participate for two years. So for two years, this child was in our building every single day, seven days a week and watching kids participate out on the ice, but we couldn't even put them out on the ice until we had a permission slip sign. So um, anybody, everybody is welcome. Uh, As long as you have a good time, you adhere to the rules. And uh, like I said, you don't have to be in our program. We have a study buddies program that we partnered with uh, one of the prep schools, Gonzaga Prep School. They took it over for us we started a study buddies program. We opened it up. We, there's a charter school around the corner uh, and we open it up to their school and they continue to work with them. And a lot of those kids, some of them are in our program, but a lot of them are not there uh, outside of the study buddies program. So,
0: Mm -hmm. and and taking more of a uh, I guess of the men perspective in your um, group or of your kids, because I kind of want to touch on that a little bit too. In regards to we we did t- kind of touch on the women on ice and and sports. What about the men on sport in sports or the men in your communities or, or the young boys um, who are learning? Do you see the same kind of impact in terms of you know not being um, teenage fathers? Is there the same equivalent impact there? I'm I'm really curious about that.
1: Yes, I, I don't think the statistics are as hard on that um, as they, the, the statistics for the Women's Sports Foundation is what drives most of it for the female end of it. The, the male end is, is the one thing that I find with the boys who participate is, you know, a lot of times they're competitive, but a lot of them seek some sort of structure and discipline. Uh, You know, we, a lot of people think that, you know, if kids are in a tough situation, you know, roll with it a little bit, love them up. Now we love them up, but we set the standard and those kids actually kind of like it when they are told no you can't do this. You have to do X in order to get to Y, right? Mm -hmm. They, you know, kind of seek a little bit of that discipline. The coaches who are a little harder on them, they seem to gravitate more to the ones that are pushing them than the ones who just coddle them all the time. Uh, We're very fortunate. We, we hire the best we can from within the community. Uh, And we have, Uh, A number of men who work for us who have been there for six, seven, ten years. And one of the things that I try to remind the staff about all the time is, is for a lot of these kids, we may be the consistency in their life. You know, Mm -hmm. some of them are foster kids. Some of them are getting bounced back and forth between parents or schools or in and out of the school and, you know, whatever it may be. But they're showing up a couple of times a week and they're seeing you and they're seeing me and they're seeing the staff. And that connection gets very, very strong. And if we had, you know, kind of a revolving door with staff, that makes it very tough. But, you know, we have a lot of kids in the neighborhood. And the gentlemen we hire are involved in the neighborhood. They see them,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: They will go up and say, Hey, come here. That's not for you. Why don't you go home now? You know what I mean? They're involved with them there. So it's uh it's, it's really, it's really good. You know, um, we hire within, we, a lot of the kids, it's not a lot because we serve so many kids, but we do try, we are the first job for a lot of our kids who come through our programs um, and for boys and girls, but for the boys, it's, it's, boy, there's a lot of challenges, you know, for boys and girls all in the uh, teenage years there. and. Yeah the one thing that we do find every once in a while with the boys is they disappear for a while and then they come back. Right. Mm. And when they come back, there's the stronger bond and the willingness to work a little harder, uh, which is very, very special too. So it's uh, a lot of cool kids.
0: Do you find that a lot of the young boys or, or young men come from, Fatherless homes is that an impact, or is that a, a a wide range impact on both young boys and girls in the community
1: uh, yes and no i you know it's the there's a perception in the effort Af- you know with poor African communities that the fathers aren't involved or engaged you know and I look at uh every one of my staff people. They may not be living with the mother of their child or their children, but they are still involved and engaged, and they are still doing everything they can to be involved in those kids' lives. Uh, we, you know, I we have never done the research to see what the uh, single parent statistic would be, uh, but we we do see a lot of parents, we see a lot of fathers uh, who. And in a lot of cases, the fathers are the ones we only see, you know, there's mm. been a number of kids who've come through our programs where I haven't seen a mother. Uh, you know, we have some that have uh, grandparents who are involved. So um, it's a, uh, it's challenging. Uh, Marion Barry, uh, who was our former mayor and then became a council person. And of course he made headlines uh, years ago, but Uh, Before he died, I was in his chambers at a hearing, and he had said, you know, one of the challenges we have in wards, you know, east of the river is that a lot of these kids haven't seen a man in the house get up, put on a work shirt, and go to work, and, you know, that may be the case. I I don't know, but I, I see a lot of fathers who are, again, engaged and Taking the pressure to work that third or fourth part-time minimum wage job to try to provide. And they're just not able to be there all the time to provide, uh, to be seen and, mm. and do things. Um, and like I said, I the staff that, the guys that I have, uh, I, I'm telling you, they're wonderful fathers and, you know, a lot of them, I think one or two of them are with their kids the entire time, but uh, they are there making the effort to be there to be a dad mm-hmm. and uh, I'm very, very proud of them. Great. Role yeah. mom.
0: That's beautiful. And I, and I think that um, I think that is a, a common misconception because I, you know, as I get deeper into this realm of masculinity and manhood, you see that fatherless homes are one of the biggest impacts on, on young men not being stable enough or, or, you know, I guess uh, pro- productive uh, men of, of, or citizens, mm-hmm. um, like that's that's a common study, and, and I was really curious, about asking you that question because um, I think there is that stereotype in African American communities that is sometimes unfair from from people in privileged communities. That it it's exactly like you said um, with it, oh, it's the drugs affecting um, young babies, but you said it's no, it's the malnutrition. There's these ideas that we we have not being in those communities, and I I, I liked how you can provide that insight on those dangerous stereotypes for me and for my listeners, because I think it is important, an important question to ask for myself to gain that information and, and you know, decrease my own ignorance and, and learn more about those communities. Because, you know, you and I had the conversation that I'd like to be doing that kind of work in the future. Not, not sure what kind of impact, um, but that is, is something I see of myself. Um, and, I, and I think it's very important to have those conversations
1: yeah and I think that you know I think that the perception is the african American community but i i I think there's a lot of times a perception this is just personally there's a perception that african American community means poor community mm-hmm. right that they're interchangeable and that's the only thing that exists. There are a lot of very, very poor white people in the united States all right there are African-Americans who are doing very well there's Hispanics there's Asians who go all over the place but I think when we think poor we think inner city Mm. and I also struggle with inner city like who came up with that and you know what is inner city but that's kind of the term that has been uh, used quite a bit there but yeah it's 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 very 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 challenging and it's you know and fortunately, because of all the things that are going on, I'm hoping that there are a lot of conversations happening um at, again, at the ground level, you know, you come in my facility, I think anybody in our facility will talk to anybody about anything, uh, ask questions and get the knowledge. But, you know, when you're removed from it, when you're only catching it from social media or TV mm-hmm. or whatever boy, that's, it's, it's not, uh, it's not the reality as to what really happens.
0: Yeah. Kind of going back then to, um, the male role models, you said they're great role models. And, and I'd really like to hear your feedback and, and opinion on why male role models are so important to both young men, but also to young women. Um, because I think that sometimes can get lost as well. and. And do you see that the men that you have volunteering also um, serve that, that leadership role to the young women that you have in your facility? Or is it kind of the women focus on the young girls and the, the men focus on, on the young boys? Or is that good crossover too? Uh,
1: I think it's all the above. I think that in our facility uh anybody will assist and engage with anybody you know I don't know you know maybe some people I think people gravitate more to our volunteers gravitate more to a certain age group than to a sex whether mm. it's male or female uh but I do think that it is important for uh young men to see young men or men uh showing a caring side you know we have in our society you know don't cry you know uh, whatever it may be all right but in our environment you know we are there to love kids up Mm. you know The number of times that I, you know, it just happened the other day, one of our kids graduated, you know, and I'm putting a text to say, hey, we're proud of you. We love you so much. We're so happy, you know, and to think 20 years ago that I would say to a kid, we love you, you know, a boy, but, you know, you know, we care. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that that's a side that's necessarily uh, very well portrayed in TV shows and movies and the 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 men side of things but you know it's it's a tough it's tough because society's constantly changing a little bit on what's right and what's wrong but you know to be able to go up and put your arm around a kid and just say hey way to go good job you know it's mm-hmm. you know now you can't touch kids anymore but you know it's 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 the ability to give the high five to, to be able to say, you know, you mean a lot. You mean a lot to us here. You know, we're very proud of you. You're a great role model for these young kids. Okay. Or, or, or to pull them aside and say, Hey, you're better than that.
0: Mm.
1: You know it. I know it. Okay. We need you to step it up. And if you need help stepping it up, we will help you, but you need to pull your weight here. Okay, we're not going to pull it for you anymore. So to have those honest conversations and be able to really connect is important. But I also do think that it is important, you know, not just uh, male to male or female to female, but for women, girls, young girls to be, you know, who may not have family or a father that's around Okay, to see a male role model who, you know, there's the old saying, mama's boy, daddy's girl. Okay. So, you know, there, there's a want, a connection to a male and to be able to connect with females and, and to have good conversation with them. And again, to, to be positive, to build them, to connect with them uh, is is very, very important. And it is for the women to do uh, with the guys too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we, you know, it's just, again, kids who feel good about themselves produce positive results. And, and that's all we're trying to do here.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I wish I had all the answers. I don't know if I do. I know I tell you right now, I know there's a lot of things we could be doing better and there's a lot of things I can be doing better, but we are, you know, given the effort to do the best we can and to connect with as many kids positively as we can.
0: Yeah. And, and I love so many other things that you've said in this uh, conversation and especially, you know, you're not building athletes, you're building citizens, and uh, you're working together to make sure that your facility is a safe place for everyone, doesn't matter who they are, um, that you've grown to this understanding. Um, that that you said you didn't see maybe from the start or didn't really fully understand that you have to see it to believe it, that you can become it. You yep. need to see it in the community, um, which I think are all things that can get lost sometimes is, you know, we play sports. I played sports. I played hockey. I played baseball when I was younger and they didn't, and they taught me a lot because I'm from a diverse uh, community about how to interact with, with diff- people of different cultures and and that side of things and i look back at those moments as really key moments in my growing as a as a young man but also there wasn't that access to the women part of it i didn't get to see women's sports i didn't get to interact with them and you know you hear a lot about this locker room talk and i think a lot of that may come down to the fact that we diversify so much we split the, the guys up in the in the in the women up and we say there's not really that that mutual understanding of of how to be competitive together or how to work together in competitive environments um which i'm with only i'm really realizing through this conversation is it may be a reason why we do have some of those issues when it comes to sports and locker room talk
1: yeah oh absolutely you know the the hard challenge we have is that females develop faster than males okay Uh, especially when you get to that 10 11 12 year old age you know they're hitting puberty they're bigger they're actually stronger than the boys you know they learn quicker you know there's a lot the windows of trainability are completely different for women than they are men and that's something that we've you know in the sport world have kind of discovered in the past 10 years right uh the science behind development and but you know we we also lose the connection, and I used to do a lot with USA Hockey's coaching education program, and I used to tell coaches all the time, we lose sight that kids, most of their connection is with their mom at home, right? They want something, ask mom, right? Mom takes care of them, mom feeds them, mom does this, mom does that. And then those kids go to school, and in elementary school, I don't know what the statistic is, but it's probably 90 to 95% of the teachers are female.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So most of their connection every day is with a female, and then we show up at an ice rink, and we put an eight- or nine-year-old kid on the ice with a guy in skates that looks like a giant holding a weapon, a stick, blowing these uh, ear-piercing whistle and yelling and screaming, and we wonder why kids <laughs> don't perform properly on the ice, right? So, you know, our average age is about nine and a half. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's very important that we spend a lot of time uh, developing our coaches to understand that we don't need to talk down at players. We need to get down to their level. We need to take a knee. We need to get to eye level to communicate with them, right? We need to do things that you would find more on the female end naturally than what you would see on the male end to be able to connect with kids. And uh, it, it's important, you know, and, and nobody likes to be talked at. Nobody likes to be talked down to. Nobody likes to be told what to do. And the, the other thing that we try to preach with our, our uh, staff too is, is uh, I think it was Dr. Seuss who said, it's better to know how to learn than it is to know how. Or something like that. I can't. I'm screwing it up. But anyway, <laughs> not in the nutshell. It is. It is. Uh, we need to teach kids how to think, not what to think.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I don't know if it's Franklin Covey who said that. Uh, the second you teach somebody some but something, you've denied them the opportunity to learn. Mm. And we need to set kids up to learn on their own and be successful. And uh, I think that's where kids feel the greatest satisfaction on and off the ice. And I think that's one of the key things we do at our facility is is to try to uh, provide that opportunity for kids to learn on their own.
0: And I really liked what you said going back to how you communicate with them, you know, get on their level, take a knee. You, you you kind of framed it in the sense of taking a more feminine approach to communication and aligning that up with the fact that most elementary teachers are women and that's one thing I've always struggled with with this whole conversation of you know w- more women do go into teaching and nursing and, and typically caregiving caregiving aspects or roles which I don't think is a negative thing but I do think that more men need to go into those too, because if I was to think one of my dream jobs when I was younger was to be a teacher and it was always grade nine, grade eight, grade seven, grade six, like those pivotal moments, I think, because any, any year you transition from, from one to the next, that's really senior. And then it could be from elementary school to middle school, middle school to high school, high school to university that first and last year, I think are the most pivotal points in a kid's life. And those have always been the ones I've wanted to, if I was to be a teacher, I'd only want those. Like I'd be so dead against any other year because I want those life-changing, life-altering times in their life because I want to show young men, more specifically young men, and also be a good role model to young women about what they can do with their life. And that's always been something that's kind of stuck with me. I've never really pursued teaching because I'm enjoying what I'm doing now, but I, I just think we need to show men that they can be that caregiving side, and you obviously work with your staff to teach them that they can be that. Um, and that, does, that doesn't mean that those those traits can't be masculine. I just think it's funny how we we see that as, see those as more feminine rather than masculine when we can easily make those feminine or or, or masculine and, and make them masculine about ourselves.
1: No, absolutely you're, you're spot on there and that's that's the area we collectively need to work on you know and and hopefully we can get there. <laughs> yeah. By having conversations like you provide here all the time every week, uh hopefully we're getting a little closer. So, one step at a time.
0: Yes, agreed. Um but Ty, this has been an amazing conversation. I'm not sure if there's anything else you'd like to share or anything else that you'd like to talk about. Um, but I'd love to give you kind of a minute or two to, to talk about how people that are listening to this show can either donate money, get involved or, or something. Um, you know, talk, you talked a bit earlier about how twisting people's arms and getting that money is is part of your role. Um, so so now's your time to do that with some listeners.
1: Well, <laughs> uh, I appreciate the opportunity. So Probably the best way to learn more about us and provide uh, opportunities to donate or volunteer or whatever it may be is through our website. Uh, it is www.fdia, uh, which is short for Fort dupont Arena, fdia.org. And uh, my contact information will be on there. They'll give you a little bit about what we do and the programs we provide, uh, we're still, even though we're closed due to COVID, we're still connecting with our kids here on a regular basis through virtual camps, and we had an FDIA program, and and doing a lot of different things to stay connected with our community. But uh, mm-hmm. we just uh, appreciate the opportunity to share what we do, as as you know, we're we're very passionate about it. Uh, but also, thank you for the great program you're putting on here and trying to. Uh, better us men we need
0: it to- thank you I, I appreciate the kind words anything I can do to uh, support you and support my own mission and, and ideas um, are always uh, of interest to me and I think these conversations are so fascinating um, you know I, I even think not even a lot of men see not-for-profit as a masculine trait you know I, a lot of the people that I talk to or almost everyone that I know that wants to go into that is a is a woman and even that is a conversation within itself, but I guess we can touch on that really quickly in, in terms of what are your opinions on that? And do you believe that's, that's true, that it's, it, it, it favors women or, or men are kind of against the not-for-profit um, industry.
1: Well, I think that again, as we have touched on a little bit here, society looks at females as more caring, right? You, you mentioned the teachers and, nurses and things like that the role that is looked to provide uh caring is usually on the female end of things uh i'm very very fortunate my wife and i do this together so uh she keeps me kind of on the straight and narrow with caring and keeping that a priority and things like that but yeah the reality is 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 not-for-profits are typically a female-driven uh, industry, grant writing, things like that. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if there's, it's bad or good. I, you know, I don't know if I have an opinion, but it's just, it, it is the reality that females have a, typically uh, drive that uh, bus here quite a bit. And, and there are opportunities for males, but when I do show up at different organizations, I am the minority in the group. Mm -hmm. and uh but you know i I guess on the sports end you see a lot more of males involved in it on the sports end but when you look at some of the you know cancer american cancer society grassroots organizations things like that you find a lot of females who are the ones trying to make an impact i think that uh again if we can be stereotypical i think women are looking more to improve community where men are looking to drive business and, you know, to focus on themselves or what's immediately in their household more than looking outside of that uh, household. And that's probably one of the reasons why we see a lot more females.
0: Mm Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ty, again, thank you so much. Listeners, I will include a link to the website and donation um, as well as some of the videos that that Ty has shared with me in the description. So definitely check out that. You can see all the work that they're doing. They've even produced an actual Olympic uh, speed skater um, with this program. So I know that you you say you don't create uh, athletes, but you do have one athlete who's there. Um, So I'll definitely share her story as well. Um, but Ty, anything else that, uh, that you'd like to say to my audience?
1: No, just uh, again, thank you for all that you do. And, and, uh, happy anybody who wants to reach out, happy to, to show and, and tell a little bit about more what we do and hopefully motivate some other people to get out there and start making an impact on the community. You know, it's taken 15 years for me to get where I am with this organization now. So you can't just jump in and expect to make a huge impact, but kind of like the, uh, the kid walking the beach with the starfish, throwing them in the water. It matters to one of them at one at a time. So just start somewhere, and let's uh, let's start making this world a little better and a little a little happier.
0: Thank you everyone so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Imperfect Pod. I think we can all agree uh, after this episode that the work Ty and his team are doing at the Fort DuPont Ice Arena is fantastic. So just a reminder that if you could please donate uh, in the link below to the cause, to the mission, I would very much appreciate that. Um, You can find them on their website, fdia.org, to find out more about the work they're doing. I've also included a few links um, to YouTube videos about the work they do as well. Um, If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a review on iTunes or message me on Instagram at The Imperfect Pod. I'd love to hear what you have to say and what you learned, and let's build a world of intentional and purposeful conversations. Um, Thank you again for listening to this week's episode, and I hope you're excited
1: for next week.